0: Spotlight On is brought to you by Light, the technology platform reimagining e-commerce for live events. You can learn more about Light at light.com forward slash partnerships. That is L-Y-T-E dot com forward slash partnerships. Hello and welcome to Spotlight On. I'm your host, Lawrence Purrier. This week, the spotlight shines on Scottish band Constant Follower through my conversation with band leader and songwriter Stephen McCall. Constant Follower recently wrapped up their first visit to the United States for a series of appearances at the South by Southwest Music Festival. Stephen joined us to talk about that trip and the shows they played, give us a bit about his unique journey and life story, and to take us inside the making of the band's debut album, neither is nor ever was i hope you enjoy our conversation
1: carry on but don't feel the practice of father
0: I need to say at the outset, I'm used to having the best beard in these conversations, and we're going to have to work on that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I've, I've got to say, yours is a mighty fine beard.
0: Yeah. Well, it's nice to meet you. Thank you for making time.
1: And you. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Of course, of course. How was your trip to South By?
1: Oh, it was something else, yeah. It was amazing. Not only was it our first trip to South By, but it was every band member's first trip to the United States altogether. So yeah, it was something something else. Got wow. to say. Yeah. And when they, they I mean they used to make jokes in comics here in Scotland that everything's bigger in the States. And that's true. It's it's pretty true, yeah. Yeah. Especially in Texas, I think.
0: Yeah, you went right to the heart of it. You you did not uh, <laughs> you did not mess around. You went you went right to the to the heart of it, what 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 struck you? What stood out for you in that regard?
1: I think well, the cars for one, like the roads are like twenty-lane motorways on both sides, and the cars are all these massive trucks that they drive in Texas. The occasional little electric vehicles smudged in between them. And in Scotland, it's not like that at all. You know, the roads are fairly clear here, and the cars are small. Yeah, that was. I mean, that was something. The buildings are massive. The streets. Someone would say, "Oh, yeah, it's just two blocks." And to me, that sounds like not far, but it would be 10 minutes later, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was crazy. And then on our last day, we were staying with this lovely lady in South Austin. And on our last day, we are around her house and through the phones and the television, suddenly tornado warning and an an urgent tornado warning that it was headed directly for her house, pretty much. So we had to get the duvet, uh, the... Mattress off the bed, rather, and go into the um, bathroom with that over our heads. But fortunately, it changed course and missed us by half a mile. But I've seen some of the destruction that it caused to some of the some of the
0: houses down that way. But yeah, that was a bit exciting. That is great. You got the full American experience. <laughs> I know. I know. The only thing you missed was maybe you didn't get shot. I hope. I hope you didn't. Nobody, nobody pulled a gun on you. <laughs> no.
1: No. I didn't. Do you know? I didn't. That's. The one thing I expected to see was guns, but we didn't see a single gun the whole time we were there. Yeah. So no. Nah, but we were just we were overwhelmed by the beautiful welcome from people and our hosts and every single person that we met
0: over there. We just Yeah, can't wait to get back. And and you played several several gigs while you were here?
1: Yeah, so we played we, we could only play it South by Southwest because of the visa situation in America at the moment. I don't know if you're aware. But British artists, the next appointment for a visa at an embassy was something like eight months away. So it was just impossible to get them in time. So nobody from the UK went on a visa. We all went on a tourist visa. Kind of crossed our fingers and hoped that they would let us in. But the immigration were aware that there was a whole load of crazy British musicians coming without proper visas. Uh, So I think they made an exception for the festival. But yeah, because of that, we could only play South by. So we played, I think we played four, four official shows and show on the first night was at this place called St. David's, which is a big church and it has this hall, Bethel Hall, and it was just the perfect venue for us. And fortunately that night, the Austin Chronicle were there and wrote a glowing review the next day. Um, And just, yes, yeah, beautiful show. Lovely audience, silent. Yeah. yeah,
0: I could, I could imagine how, how the sonics that you produce would, would resonate in a room like that.
1: Yeah, it's ideal for us. And actually, at the other end of the spectrum, one night we played this a dive bar called Swan Dive. And it was in a garden, sort of out in the garden, which was amazing until the sun went down. And then all of a sudden, techno from the garden next door started, doof, doof, doof. And we were trying to play underneath the techno, you know, and it was kind of, we got through it, but it wasn't the same as the
0: sort of church vibe I have not seen performance footage of the band. I, I've watched a lot of the videos that were made as the companion pieces to the album. But how do you go about replicating the sonics from from your recorded material in a live environment?
1: It's funny because the recorded stuff that's been recorded, it's fairly live and it's recorded fairly live, and it's only little little effects here and there. There's not as much effects as it sounds like there is. When we're playing live, it's pretty stripped back. There's the four of us, acoustic guitar, bass pedals, and we've got Curd on electric guitar, and then Dave Gild on bass, and normally Amy Campbell on backing vocals and keyboards, but she couldn't make it to South By, so we had Annie Beth. But So it's a combination of trying to get trying to get the best of the little bits of magic that we've added in the mix and then we'll play them on keyboards or, or possibly there's even a little bit of cheeky samples being used at times, um, which I trigger with foot pedals. But I think that's only in a couple of songs that just really weren't, you just couldn't replicate those those parts on keyboards, you know. Well, without 10 people playing keyboards. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's what that's what I wondered how much was triggered or samples. But it, hearing you describe it that way actually makes me want to see the band live even more. It's uh, because the I, I'll, I'll just it, it the sake of transparency, I have found listening to the music almost overwhelming. It's so lush and layered and very just emotionally laden really powerful very powerful to listen to and i could imagine that when you were describing playing in a in an old church or an environment like that i actually can i can envision that but i can't envision it in a dive bar it seems a bit too sacred (laughs) the music Yeah,
1: yeah it feels it feels that way when we play it live as well i mean there is there's Something about the songs that's nothing to do with me, it's to do with the combination of everybody and the combination of moments that I really had no control over. And I think that when we play them live, sometimes it does have that feeling to me that we're sort of doing something sacred that we need that it needs to be, I don't know, that the songs need to be represented properly or something.
0: How current is the material that you've most recently recorded? In other words, are these songs that you've worked on for years and you finally had the opportunity to put them down. Or is this fresh material? Like I, I asked that mainly in the context of, you sort of started your career a bit later than a lot of recording artists do. And I, and I just wonder about that body of work.
1: Yeah. I mean, the songs, the, I think the oldest song that is on this album is probably about maybe seven or eight years old. I think the oldest song, but yeah, I started very, I started very late. I've got a lot of gray hairs already. So yeah, I mean, my whole story is a bit complicated, I guess, but I could go into it a little if you'd like me to.
0: Yeah, I, I sort of wanted to take your lead on that, because I, I, I've read some pieces with you talking about some of your experiences, and I sort of wanted to defer to you as to how much energy you want to put into talking about that, but I'm happy to hear it.
1: Sure, I'll give you a quick run through anyway. So when I was about 17, I was I was a a budding musician. I was playing guitar, and I was writing songs, and I was pretty much ready to put down my first songs onto an album and I was walking home from my girlfriend's house in a place called Disco Bride, which is just outside Glasgow, one night and I was just unprovoked, attacked by a gang of men and the injuries from that was really quite catastrophic head injuries which meant that I wasn't able to play guitar or sing or pretty much wasn't able to do very much for a long while. My physical recovery took some months or a year and then after that really it was a sort of mental recovery for a, for, a, for a good long time so it was only about eight years ago or something that I was able to string a poem together really you know and started writing songs yeah just well I started first of all I was reading a lot of the poetry of this guy called Norman McCaig who's a Scottish poet that absolutely revere and at first I couldn't read books because I would get to the end of the sentence and I'd forget what the start of the sentence had meant. So so I sort of taught myself how to read again by reading poetry. It just happened to be that my English teacher at school had given me this book by a guy called Norman McCaig, the poet, and I started reading his poetry and it just made perfect sense to me. There's poems about the world around about us, but seeing it in a different way and appreciating the beauty. And after I'd been reading his poems for a while, I started trying to write myself and those first couple of poems became the first couple of songs on the album. And really the it just progressed from there where the songs started coming out and pretty much every song that came out initially is on the album. It sort of came out as an album and then there was many songs after that, but those first ones were the ones that I really wanted to present in this first record.
0: How different was your musical direction as a teenager versus where you are now? I have absolutely no idea. I have no... One of one of the effects of the attack
1: was that I lost all of my memory up until the point of the attacks and I didn't have any recordings or I might have had some four-track demos, I'm not sure, but in those years of not being interested and not being able to make music, anything that I did have that was like that was all lost. So um, I have no idea. These might be the same songs. <laughs> or... or, or or they, I'm pretty sure they're not, but I, I don't know. At the time, I was probably listening to a lot of Bowie and a lot of maybe Oasis or something like that, you know, Radiohead maybe. So they might have been quite influenced by that sort of thing, but no really no idea.
0: That's really incredible. One thing I've had trouble understanding from the outside is, is Constant Follower a band or is it, a, is it you and the musicians you put together at any given moment? Is that a fair question? Yes, a fair question. Constant Follower is definitely the, the band,
1: but the band is fluid to some extent. And the music as it is finished on the album wouldn't sound like that if it wasn't for the band around me. But I present the band with finished songs and then we sort of work together to fill out, uh, or not fill out, it's so, a sort of bad expression, but we work together to find those magic bits that, that sort of cuddle the songs. Um, so... The songs would be the same without the band, but the album wouldn't be the same without the band. It's, it would be very different with very different musicians. And actually, about halfway through the album, I decided that I wanted to work with some different musicians, so I started bringing in some friends, like this guy Kenny Bates, who's a, who's on a few of the songs, Mark Tranmer, who's uh, also from uh, the Montgolfier Brothers and Gnack. He's playing on a couple, you know, and, and just to sort of... I just realized that I wanted to expand the band a little and bring in a little bit of difference from different people. And that's kind of how I see it going forward as well. Although we've got this core band with me. I mean, the core band really is me and Curd. We've been at it pretty much since the start. And then round about that, fairly fluid, bringing in musicians
0: as as each song seems to need it. When you say you you bring in finished songs, have you recorded demos or are they really the the tracks that end up on the record just reworked with the band's instrumentation and parts added.
1: When Kurt hears the songs, they're demos. So it'll just be me, acoustic guitar, and vocal when Kurt hears them normally. And then Kurt and I will maybe bat it backwards and forwards for a wee while. Sometimes, though, what I like to do, and which we found works really well, is that I'll I'll record the song and then Kurt will come in and he'll not have heard it before and then I'll play it to him and he'll sort of respond in real time. And we'll just record that and I'll take maybe three or four tracks of him doing that. Then he'll go away and I'll sit back and I'll listen and I'll find the bits of magic and put them all together. That's worked for a few of the tracks. But the earlier ones were definitely me giving him a demo and saying, right, what do you think? And then him coming back.
0: One of the things that struck me was that you seem to have found a very appropriate co-producer and label home with kramer and shimmy disc it just if it's just it's it just seems very spot on and i wonder if you could talk a little bit about how that came together and what that experience has been like
1: well i mean you say i found i mean they, he found me he, he one he was listening he was just on a i think he was browsing a friend's facebook one day and seen our first release if i do a For, set aside some time, he sent me an email and said he wanted to sign us from that one track, which to me was a huge surprise because I'm a big Galaxy 500 fan and Damon and Naomi and all of these bunch, you know, so yeah, at first I I probably didn't respond to the email correctly because I thought it was a prank from one of my friends, but... We managed to get past that and, yeah, he was just right right from the start very supportive of the music. He seemed to completely get it. He understood this thing that I was chasing about the space, always trying to leave the space in the tracks. And he, yeah, right from the start, we kind of sent some ideas backwards and forwards and what ended up happening was that I pretty much recorded everything myself and then I, I made sort of a guide mix if you want to call it that, and sent it over to him so that he could hear what I thought it might sound like. And then he just did his Kramer magic and sent me back what he thought the finished mixes should sound like. And apart from a few minor kind of tweaks, you know, I think it just hit them spot on first time. And even I was thinking about what it is that he's added because the, his mixes are so similar to my mixes, except they're just a thousand times better. They just have, they have this thing that I couldn't do and it's this thing about kind of longevity where even now when I listen to the album and I must have heard it a good few times I'll hear a little sound here or there or just a wee thing that I hadn't noticed before that he's done and it's just these tiny little details and tiny little textures wee bits of magic that that he adds that just make the listening experience last so much longer you know you find something new in it every time
0: that you listen to it at the risk of sort of deconstructing it or reducing it to a process, I'm, I have a little more curiosity around what you just said about Kramer's input or contribution. And when you say the little bits of magic, was that he he found things that were in the recordings to highlight and bring out, or where was this about like signal processing? You know what I mean? Like what 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 was that? Well, it's a it's.
1: A bit of both, really, and also when when he when we were talking about his credit on it, and I was saying, well, we need to credit you with some of the music, some of the instruments that he played on there, because he did play a few wee bits and bobs. He wanted it credited as um, Kramer bits here and there or whatever it was that said, and that kind of highlights what he was doing. He was he, in some tracks he would add a piano note just or a wee synth note or a wee something here and the, there in the corner. In other tracks, I would have sent him my kind of guide mix and also all of the tracks that I'd recorded, which would include, for example, some curd playing bode guitar on something that I hadn't actually used in my mix, but I just sent him it anyway. And then he would find beautiful bits in that to highlight. So, yeah, it was a bit of all of that and some, and some weird signal processing, some really weird little delays that I would never have used that just give us... I, I always thought that delays... When, when you add a delay it kind of took up too much space, but somehow the the way that he uses delay it just makes it feel more spacious
0: there's a a border between like where the delay is acting more of a like a reverb i it's I can't really articulate I don't have the technical facility to, to articulate it, but there's something in there where it's not that harsh sort of mechanical delay sound it's it is more about opening it up
1: yeah yeah definitely and I think when it's like that. You you don't hear it unless you're listening for it. It's only when you're listening for it, you can then hear, oh, there's a delay there. But your ear sort of perceives it just as some sort of natural room reverberation or something like that.
0: How much of the recordings are about the room? That was something that struck me. I, I see where you're sitting now. Like, is that the room you record in? Because to your point at the beginning of the conversation, it sounds like you're in a chapel or one of those old big room recording studio spaces. And I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit. What 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 role the environment plays and actually what's on the recording?
1: So most of it was recorded here when I wanted it to sound more like a chapel than these sound panels that you can see around. These were pulled off the walls and, and piled up in the corner. And that gives it more of a sort of wet sound. But a lot of that that I think that you're hearing is probably just clever use of reverbs um, that we spent, well, I spent a long time sort of finding the reverbs that I liked and um, having the reverbs that sound very much like spaces and that don't sound like reverbs. A lot of the universal audio stuff that I, I use is, is is on the record. But yeah, with the thing that I found with the acoustic guitar was that it, it always sounded too much. When I my first recordings, it always sounded too much like I was recording it in a living room, in my front room, and which a lot of the time I was recording it in my front room at the start. But... Yeah, I didn't get that thing that you really need to let an acoustic guitar bash off some walls and and be a bit chaotic to sound like it's in a real space. And reverbs don't really provide that. I think that that needs to happen at the microphone stage rather than in post-processing.
0: I don't want to make any assumptions, but do you generally prefer hardware over software or is it just whatever gets you the sound you're after?
1: I would rather have, have the hardware because I would rather have buttons in front of me and things to push and pull and turn. It just makes more sense to me than going into multiple different programmes. And I think I can't afford the hardware, so I use the software. I can't afford the software either right enough, but, but the thing about... I think a really important thing for me is limiting choices because I find that I become overwhelmed and too many choices just makes me make no choice at all or a bad choice. So whenever I'm recording whenever I'm doing anything. I always try and really limit the amount of plugins that I'm using to one reverb or two reverbs, maybe a single delay sort of channel. And that is just more or less what I'll use now. I try not to get too deep into all these different fancy plugins. And just get it right at the microphone is a lot of the a lot of the thing that I had to learn over time was just to really try and get it right at the microphone and not try and fix it later because you just end up spending hours and days trying to fix problems that could be fixed by a little move of a microphone here or there.
0: How did you develop your technical facility and technical knowledge, um, given that there was such a gap in time when you weren't really making music?
1: Well, at first, when I first wrote those first songs, I had a little uh, handheld Zoom recorder, and that's what I used to make the demos, and then realised that I'd never have enough money to go into the studio to record the songs. And bought myself, first of all, a little SPL Crimson sort of interface. And I just started recording using that. Then we got some money from a fund to go into a studio and went into the studio, recorded more or less the whole album. And then realized that it just wasn't right because in the studio, there's all the time pressures. And you're just like, okay, right, let's do a take. Here we go. And it's kind of that day I wasn't really feeling like it, you know, or whatever. Or I was, Unwell that day, or it just was a crap day, but you're still expected to do it. And that's kind of, that's not really how I worked. So, I managed to just get a little bit more money together and decided the only way I'm going to be able to record this is if I could record it in my own space and my own time. This sort of that moment is right to get the best sort of things. So, yeah, I just gradually built up my studio a little bit at a time. And now I'm sharing this studio that you can see now, I'm sharing it with Mark Tranmer of the Montgolfier Brothers. So we share kind of half and half and we've just kind of combined the equipment. We've ended up with quite a decent resetup now.
0: What role does routine and process play versus needing that inspirational moment? And and can you can you drive the inspirational moment by having a routine?
1: A year ago I would have said that you absolutely can't because I thought that it was all about the inspirational moment and about just kind of catching it when it came. Being ready, so having a routine where you're always playing the guitar or you're always practising or getting yourself in that, ready for when the moment comes, and then capturing it as it came past. But a year ago, just over, I decided I was going to try and do the opposite. I was just going to take myself away to a little cottage again and try and write the next album. And I did it. And the first couple of days, I was nothing and then on the third day songs started coming just because i was kind of making myself available and trying not trying but sort of just being there in the moment with nothing else to do a pen and paper so i think that if you've got the time and the space you can definitely do it it's not just about routine it's not just about the moment rather it can be about routine and i think routine certainly helps you catch the moment but you can bring the moment on for sure if you if you set things set it up right
0: I've heard other creative people, even in other creative pursuits, talk about how even even by opening that channel through having the routine, even if nothing flows through it for a spell, at the very least, you're practicing and you're, you're, you're discarding ideas. You're learning something about either your tool or your technical facility or what you don't like. You're developing your aesthetic, so it's not necessarily time wasted just because there's no output that ends up on paper or on a finished product
1: yeah absolutely makes sense to me and i've heard that from other songwriters as well who say oh i wrote 10 crap songs today and tomorrow maybe i'll write a good one but yeah it's, it somehow doesn't really work like that for me i think i uh, kind of self-censor as i'm going along or uh censor is not the word but as i'm going along as a song's coming out if it's not a good one somehow uh change it or i uh, just that one goes to the side before it gets too far mm. so so it's it yeah but yeah i get that completely
0: earlier you spoke about the role of reading poetry in your recovery and then writing poetry as sort of the basis of of your songwriting and i wonder if you see any evolution now in your songwriting Do you, do you think you're the you're the type of songwriter who will write lyric and melody or 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 lyric and meter first and then compose music or do you do you care like how do you how do you think about your approach to the actual songwriting
1: i've tried to think a lot about my approach especially before i went off on that retreat to kind of write i was thinking how do i write how did i write that last song and i can never remember how i wrote that how did i write that one but luckily because i've got very little memory What I do is just sit with my Zoom recorder and I record everything as I'm sort of finding my way into a new song, so I can go back and listen and see how they've sort of the ideas progressed. But what seems to happen for me is that the song, the words, and the melody or the guitar part come at the same time, and that's happened for all of my songs. None of them have a written down the words first and then tried to. Well, I've tried to do that and it just hasn't worked. And similarly, I've 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 got some little guitar bits that I love that I've had for years that I just can't fit words over the only way it seems to work for me is when I just let them come at the same time and I was trying to think about what it's like and it's a little bit like when you're for me this is what it feels like when you're driving along, a dark road at night and you can only see the road ahead of you on either side and you know that if you go too far one way you're in trouble or too far the other way you're in trouble you don't know where you're going but you know you're going somewhere in the right direction that's kind of what it feels like as I'm writing a
0: song Can you talk a little bit about the videos the accompanying videos and the filmmakers and how that notion came about and what it was like to just turn your music over and allow somebody else to interpret it If I understand correctly there weren't really constraints put on the filmmakers that's right yeah
1: there was no constraints put on any of the filmmakers actually for me it's such an important part of collaboration when when you decide you want to collaborate with someone in my mind you want to collaborate with them because of what they do not because of what you can make them do so for me it was always about I knew that when I was creating the songs I knew that and when they were finished they satisfied me but they didn't somehow completely satisfy me and I knew that that's because there was another element to them which is a visual element that I needed to be fully satisfied. So I wanted to work with artists that were doing things that I loved and especially wanted to kind of try and work with people who were close to me so, so that I could go and see them and so that I could support local people as well. But So for what, I, what I did was I just gave them the music and I said to them I love what you do. And I wonder if you could do what you do for this music. Don't ask me what you want done or that, but just have a go. And the results have been really pretty special. I think more special for me not having a finger in it because when it comes back to me and I see it, it's it's not. I don't have any expectation to be uh, disappointed. So it's always been a real pleasure.
0: Did you have an interest in visual? art or or in film or videography animation like you you mentioned a moment ago that these some of these people were people whose work you already admired were you immersed in that world at all I say I admire their work
1: after having looked for them Um I was I'm by no means immersed in, in in that sort of thing although I would always like probably anyone as soon as you could on YouTube when I found a song I liked the first thing I would do would go on go to YouTube and watch the video a hundred times so it was always an important part of it for me to see what people wanted to accompany the the music or what what they thought was the right thing, yeah, and I think what what I did was I just started watching loads of different every everyone I could find that was within sort of two hundred miles. I just started watching loads and loads of artists work and just finding the things that I thought were the most interesting.
0: With the world sort of reemerging now and the ability to congregate and perform, is the live element an important part of what's next for Constant Follower or, or more broadly, what, what, what is next? What do you do now? You're back from South by and what's the plan now?
1: The plan is to get recording on the second album. That's that's the main plan. That's what we're sort of setting aside some time just now to finish a collaboration with someone else at the moment who's coming tonight, actually. But the the next thing is, is just immediately get into this next album because the songs are written. We need to bash them about a bit with the band, but the songs, are. I'm really happy with them. I think they're really satisfying songs and for me, more satisfying than going out and playing concerts, playing the old songs, which to me... I feel the cold songs, even though they're only six months out in the world. But the live thing, we I speak for myself and the band, but we, we find it kind of equally amazing and incredible going out and playing the songs for people and frustrating because it's a thing that unless you're a musician, you would never believe that up on the stage, nine times out of ten, it sounds terrible. It's like the monitor mix on stage, unless you've got enough money to have a specified monitor mixer engineer there. It always sounds disappointing. So when you play live, it's a mixture of sort of like frustration of not really being able to hear yourself properly and not really knowing what you're giving out to the front of house. And then in amongst that, you're trying to get you're trying to get feedback from the audience, you know. And it's it's just I find it quite difficult, which is why we've been quite selective with the gigs that we do play and trying to play these beautiful church venues and places like this and bringing our own sound guys and all of that. So, yeah, playing live is it, it's it's this kind of double edged sword, you know, where the where a good night is the best night you've ever had of your life, and you walk away like at uh, Bethel Hall in South by Southwest, walk, you walking on clouds or whatever you call it afterwards, it's just absolutely wonderful. Or you have the Swan Dive experience where you walk away kind okay, like, of gritting your teeth and wondering what anyone else had. But yeah. yeah, the plan is to to do now that we're starting to be able to do that, to do a tour of uh, church venues, church-type venues in the UK, first of all. And then we're going to do that once we've got this album recorded. And then the whole thing with uh, the vinyl delays and everything, that will give us a bit of time between when it's recorded until when it comes out, we can do a little bit of touring in between.
0: It's it's interesting. It It does seem as though, given the sound of the band, that being able to control the presentation would not only be important, but could actually be a very additive part of the experience. You know, I could imagine the full representation of your vision of the recordings through the actual uh, live presentation could be very powerful and a really beautiful experience. So I, I look forward to getting to, for you being able to, to do that, because I think that that sounds right. Given, given yeah. their music. Yeah. Well, one last question before I let you go. I'm, I'm curious. I've spoken to other artists who say things like when we talk about the music they like or listen to or influenced by, I'm often told that the deeper they get into making their own music, the less they listen to other music because they're worried about influence or, or, or things of that nature. I, I'll leave it at, at sort of accidentally taking in something. And I wonder how, how that lands for you. Are you do you, are you still a music fan and a consumer of music, or are you too far into your own vision right now?
1: I understand. I understand what those other artists are talking about, but in a slightly different way, I'm still very much a music consumer or a, a music lover. I listen to lots of different music all of the time, every day, as, as, as much as I can, and buy lots of vinyl, way too much vinyl for my girlfriend's liking. Yeah, but... I understand that because well we have one of my things is memory problems you know so I have in the back of my mind I have this horrible horrible feeling that at some point I'm going to come across the record that I have re-recorded as my record that I used to love and I've forgotten about and I've just re-recorded all these songs I have this fear but I don't have a fear of copying people or or of inadvertently copying people really you know I, I do have that but I think that I have a friend who's a musician, and he very much says um, that he steals bits from people and changes them slightly. He thinks that it's yeah, totally fair enough. But whenever I'm setting out to make music, or whenever I'm trying to, we're trying to work up a song, I'm never ever thinking, "Oh, I really love the sound of that His Golden Messenger record. I would like it to sound like that." Or that bit that he played was really maybe we could do something that's a bit like that. It's never ever like that. Somehow, when we're working on the songs. It's just very much where does the song seem like it wants to go, you know, or what it's, it, yeah. So I'm not, I don't have that worry and I feel free to listen to as much music as I want to, you know. And yeah, I think at the moment, the problem is that there's just way too much good music. We've got all, all of this amazing music from the past and all of this amazing music that's coming out every single day.
0: I was thinking the other day about, I don't know how one is expected to earn a living, be engaged with their loved ones and listen to all the music there is to listen to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah.
1: There must be, there must be people. out. There. I mean, there must be a condition out there where people feel like they have to listen to every record or they've failed. I mean, there must be this medical condition, but I think I've only got a small dose of it.
0: Yeah. Just enough. Well, thank you for making time to do this. It's been lovely speaking with you.
1: Thank you. Lawrence. It's been lovely to talk to you.
0: Yeah, I'll look forward to more music and hopefully seeing you live sometime soon. But be well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Stephen McCall and Constant Follower. Thank you, Aunt Taylor and the team at Light. Thank you, Craig Snyder and Michael Donaldson for being the greatest post-production partners a podcaster could ask for. And as always, thank you for listening to Spotlight On. Get and share all of our past episodes, write a review, even send us a message through our website, spotlightonpodcast.com. And if you like what we're up to here, please leave us a review on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Join us again next week. In the meantime, be safe and stay in touch.
1: on TV Her tips are all you catch Screens will keep you
0: hungry
1: You're consuming vitriol This thing is real It's black and broken down Oh.